Hello to you and welcome to the Jewelers Podcast, the Adelaide edition. We're slightly out of Adelaide. Where are we? I have no idea. Adelaide Hills, <laughs> Handorf. And I'm here with Scott. Hello. Can you introduce yourself, Scott. Scott Langford. Yep. Uh, gem cutter of 30 years. No, maybe not that much. That's exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> let's say 25. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's a nice even number. <laughs> <laughs> and Laura Phyllis. Yep, Laura Phyllis, um, also of Langford Gems and Tatum Gems, my own side business, um, gem cutter of almost four years. Let's call it three and three quarters. <laughs> yeah. 30 years of combined experience. Combined cutting age, 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, Scott, you're a master. That's pretty cool. Yes, Would I you- suppose you never really think about it like that, but I guess if you look back at all the challenges you've had working and of all the ones you've conquered over time, I suppose, by yourself, I guess you could relate that word to what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, sure. And being part part of a business. And- oh, well, that's true, yeah. 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 And that part of it as well. Um, but also, uh, I, I guess it's just persisting with a craft and yeah. working out how to make things better, yeah. um, how to improve things. And I guess and then eventually you hopefully pass that... Uh, skill down to someone as well so yeah mm. sure and where was your start how did you get into it uh i actually started going to tafe first of all wanting to be a jeweler but where i went to tafe the jeweler did a gem cutting course as well and also at the same time i was studying gemology so that's more about identification of gemstones and we're also doing gem cutting at this jewelry course so i really got into that yeah, sure. Do they do gem cutting at TAFE still, or is it... Not anymore, no. Just, you can go to gem clubs, I suppose. That would be the best place to start if you're interested in something like that. Yeah, sure. And that's really where it started. That was 1991, I reckon, when I left school. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And did you have a mentor or someone I did. to uh, assist you? When I, when I, so after I did TAFE, I did work experience for a professional gem cutter. Now, his name was Murray Thompson. Um, and he was he he'd done quite a bit of cutting uh, for various people, and he'd travelled internationally and met lots of other cutters and learnt how they did things and what they cut. And uh, so I started working for him, which was a really good experience because uh, the things we did there and what he knew about gemstones, you know, um, he was open with everything. He'd pass as much information on as he could to me yeah nice uh and that's where it all started and and now i'm on the other end of that i suppose i'm i'm trying to do the same for laura as well and hopefully she's learning as much as i can possibly tell her yeah (laughs) no i've learned nothing (laughs) (laughs) where did you where did you come in so um i had been working in the jewelry industry for three years doing other things and one year i decided to make a pendant for my mum for christmas and um, a friend of mine taught me how to sort of work with the metal. I filed it. I sawed it. I soldered it. Um, I cut the gemstones to to go in the piece of... Uh, it was a pendant that I made for my mum. Yeah. And I discovered two things from that experiment, I suppose. Um, first of all, I hate working with silver. <laughs> I'm, not, sure. I'm not ever going to become a jeweller. Um, I don't think I have the patience for it. But I did learn that I loved um, working with gemstones. I loved cutting the gems. I loved shaping them. Um, from that, I I wanted to broaden on that, and I looked up ways that I could learn it, uh, ways to learn learn to cut gems. And uh, I was already studying gemology, and the only avenues were really a gem club um, mm-hmm. to go and learn cutting at a gem club. And unfortunately, that coincided with my studies. I couldn't go to the classes to learn um, gem cutting that way. So I'd met Scott. Um, I think once or twice before briefly, and I called him up and approached him and harassed him until he... Until he folded. Yeah, till he folded <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hasn't got rid of me since. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been lucky that um, he was able to find a position for me in his business. Um, when I started out, I was only working one day a week for Scott. Yeah. Um, I'm now working four days a week for Scott, and I have my own business on the side, also cutting my own gems that I like to cut and, and sell. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have known that this was going to be the career path I was going to take or that this is something sure. I was going to love so much. But 
Would um, you have done TAFE if it had been available? Um, yeah, if TAFE had been an option for learning gem cutting, for sure. I definitely would have gone down that path. Um, but certainly in South Australia, there's not a lot of opportunities for up-and-coming gem cutters or or ways to go about teaching yourself, I guess. Yeah, either. sure. There's not a lot on the internet. There's not a lot of avenues to get into it, I guess. Yeah. It's a, it's a dying art. So you've kind of brought on an apprentice. With, yeah. With, yeah. Yeah, effectively, I suppose. Yep. Um, someone who's willing to learn as well. I think that helps. She loves gemstones. She's a, we call them, we call ourselves gem nerds sometimes because we just, <laughs> yep. you know, nerd Hashtag out over it. That's nerds. right, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, we can gabble on all day about gemstones. We'll be talking about something and uh, my wife who, who works in the office part of our business is just goes, what are you guys talking about? But just some of the words we come out with, you know. She, it's a secret she, language that's that right. only another true gemologist or gem lover can understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we go through some terminology? Yeah. Sure, yep. What are your favourite words? Would you like busting out to baffle people? <laughs> I think cleavage. That's a word. That yep. is a technical word. Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of good uh, <laughs> euphemisms there and jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I think um, photochromism is always a very fancy word. Hmm. Oh yeah, to, what does that to mean? bust out photochronism. No, Pho- photo. Chromism. Chromism. So I think I always get this one and another one mixed up, so don't quote me on this now, but um, it's to do with the way light affects a gemstone or um, I think it's UV light affects a gemstone outside in in daylight versus an inside environment. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or or, or perhaps UV? Um, Does that affect photochromism? That's different. So that's more fluorescence. Fluorescence we talk about with um, long wave and short wave ultraviolet light yeah okay hmm. all right yeah going deep straight away <laughs> i'm like what <laughs> uh silk what's, what's that mean that silk is... is like fine rutile needles it's often a term used for like sapphire could have silk okay it. so it's lots of um tiny rutile needles that kind of make a bit of a cloudy appearance to the gemstone yeah um and silk can often be removed with um heating Yes. In in sapphires that can disperse the silk um, or the, the titanium in the lattice, I think. Mm. Well, and as the light hits these rutile needles in the stone, it sort of looks like silk, you know, the, the mm. material silk as it moves in the light. It's a very similar type of look, so I guess that's why they call it silk. It It's a comparison, I suppose, mm. to the yeah. material, how it, you know, reacts as you move it under the light, so yeah, mm. and that affects the structure, which which means that you have to pay attention to that in certain yeah well, processes. It, it effectively, it blocks the light coming into the stone and going back out again, so it it creates that cloudy looking appearance in the mm. stone. Yeah, and so what from a technical point of view, what heating does to that rutile, it basically burns that rutile out and clarifies the stone and helps to increase the light back into the stone again so yeah it's it's the difference between a nice bright looking stone and a difference and a stone that's a little bit sleepy i okay. guess you could say if, yeah. you, if you burn it out does that create a void or not really <laughs> it doesn't, I think it doesn't so. create a void that sounds very depressing <laughs> but I, I guess the, the... It, it disperses it so it makes it less thick or less dense so under magnification depending on what the silk originally looked like you can still sometimes see remnants of silk Mm. um, within the stone but it's very fine and it's it's rather than needles it's more little droplets or little tiny bubbles instead okay uh what about window window is have them on a house or in a gemstone play school (laughs) (laughs) window well that usually relates to the way that a stone has been cut so when it comes to faceting the the angles that you use are proportionate to different gemstones so the thing you're trying to do when you facet a stone is to bring the light that comes in and the light that goes out to its maximum advantage, I suppose. So stones that have been cut Mm. too shallow, the light, instead of the light reflecting back at you, the light goes through the bottom of the stone. It it just, it doesn't actually... It doesn't refract back up to the the eye. Okay, so Mm. in those classic 4C cardboard uh, information 
yep. sheets. Mm-hmm. You see that that's right. depth. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's talking that's about. That's ultimately what you're going for when you cut a stone. You want the light that's coming in to be as strong as, well, you want the maximum refraction. Total internal coming reflection. In and coming refraction. Out. Yeah. When a stone has a window in it, it's lost. So, And when they mean window, you can look through this, the table of the stone, which is the top which is the large facet on the top, and generally you can see underneath it. You can you could probably read writing underneath it because... Uh, the light's going in through the table, down to the culette or the pavilion, sorry, of the stone, and it's it's coming out. It's You're losing the light out the bottom of the pavilion. Yeah. Okay. So rather than that light bouncing back off the other side of the pavilion and coming back through the table to what we see, mm. it's through. so windowy, it's getting lost and falling out the bottom of the stone. Oh, cool. Mm. Uh, refraction. Same same kind of thing. So yeah. refractions is, um, I guess, what we're talking about before with with a window. Um, a lot of gemology and, and gem cutting is determined by um, the way light reacts with a gemstone. So the way it reflects, the way it refracts in a stone. Yeah. Um, so reflection is uh, it coming back from the surface and correct. refraction is it going to... Internal. Internal play of light, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I guess that's the basic way of... Yep. Yep, cool. Uh, fluorescence? Fluorescence, I think, is a cool one. Um, as a gemo, that's a pretty exciting topic. Some gemstones yeah. have fluorescence and some don't. Um, they can fluoresce in different ways. Um, so people often talk about fluorescence in a diamond, I suppose. Yes. Um, it's quite a common topic that people know about. Um, some gemstones can have fluorescence. It's not perceived in the same way as a diamond. It's not going to affect the stone. You're not going to see slight fluorescence looking at a stone like you might with a diamond. Um, but it can be a really good test as to telling you perhaps what colouring agents are in a gemstone. Um, for example, ruby has chromium and so does emerald have chromium. They both fluoresce. Oh, yes. So it's all um, about their chemical makeup. Yeah, mm. that's yeah. right. Yeah. And similarly, a synthetic can also fluoresce and the intensity of the way a stone can fluoresce can also tell you useful facts about the gem. Yeah, okay. Mm. And uh, what kind of what, what's an exciting fluorescence example? Spinel, yeah, synthetic spinel is a good one. Um, Rubies are always yeah. White. Even uh, Cuvipedi opal, like white crystal opal, um, mm. they can fluoresce, but they also uh, have another interesting phenomenon called phosphorescence. So once okay. the UV light is turned off, it kind of charges the electrons within the opal, and it stays glowing. Oh, UV light sort of glow off. in the dark type yeah. thing. Mm. Yeah, so Cuvipedi mm. opal and some synthetic opals as well will actually phosphoresce for five to ten seconds after the UV light's been turned off. What's a spectroscope? So a spectroscope, again, works with light. Um, it analyses transmitted light uh, through a gemstone and certain gems will absorb different wavelengths of light. Yep. So you'll see absorption banding um, in the the visible spectrum of light. Mm-hmm. Um, think Roy G. Biv, rainbow colours. Um, so certain gems, it's a really hand, uh, helpful handheld tool for gemologists. Um, it can determine, you know, the difference between a ruby and a garnet, garnet for example, yeah. um, okay. just by its absorption bands yeah. and colours. Cool. Uh, uh, carver versus cutter it seems fairly <clears throat> obvious, but I just thought I'd ask it. Well. For a more technical view. Oh. That that part of gem cutting itself is completely different from, say, what we do with faceting. And it's it's some way it's close to cutting cabochons, but their level of the level of carving is a completely different. It's more fluid, whereas I I think faceting or gem cutting is more we work with angles and flat surfaces. Yeah. Whereas I guess carving mm. can be freeform. It can be fluid. It can be. It can be, and and the methods they use to polish carvings are. I guess they have to create a lot of the ways themselves to work out how to polish different shapes and, yeah. you know, different materials in different shapes. Um, it's It would take a long time, it, and it obviously takes a long time to carve something and polish it yeah, yeah. than what it would maybe a faceted stone of, you know, maybe a carrot or two carrots or something like that. Yeah. So there's a lot more work that goes into it from a technical point of view as well as perhaps a creative point of view. Well, actually, that's not true. A you can create different things. but A different end goal, like in terms of if you're cutting, 
you're doing it for optimum light and yes, things like true, that. Whereas true. carving, maybe you're more concentrating on a shape. And yep. Carving can also be a better way to use perhaps an opaque or a translucent stone, mm. which yeah. you might get more out of carving it rather than faceting it. Because you can, you know, think of something with, say, malachite. It's got banding. It's got interesting patterns to it that you could use for a carving. Okay. Mm. And and carve with the pattern or the the colour in it. Same with opal. A lot of opal is carved for that same reason. So what about loose terminology and how have people played with terminology? I think... To different advantages and disadvantages. I think people definitely play around with loose terminology when it comes to synthetics or imitant stones or composite stones. So anything that's synthetic people often call created or lab grown or man-made or cultured is another word as well. Um, cultured is a good one. To try and hide <laughs> the fact of perhaps mm. what the stone really is or to make it sound prettier, mm. I guess. Mm. That's definitely a, a loose term that people like to I guess it's a lot, of it, a lot of the terminology can be skewed for marketing advantage yep. for yeah. people that don't really know what they're buying. Sure. And so they hear a name and they think, wow, that sounds nice, but... From a technical point of view, it's probably not what they're thinking they're buying and what they're actually getting. Yeah, are usually two different things. So, for example, I might be getting this one: pink sapphire ruby, pink ruby. There's some, there's some uh, color combinations that there's a thin line between terminology. The- That's right. Theoretically speaking, from a gemologist's perspective. Um, pink, sapphire, and ruby, the only difference should be chromium. So if it has chromium in it, it should technically be called a ruby. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have chromium, it should technically be called a pink sapphire. But there's lots of kind of varying degrees of that and exclusions to the rule, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because a lot of them do have um, chromium in them and, and a lot of padparasha sapphires can have chromium in them too. Okay. So... I think it's probably more your red, red ruby colour that you'd call a ruby. Yeah. Uh, can you think of uh, other examples of cheeky or wrong <laughs> terminology? A lot of the ones you see perhaps on TV or on, <laughs> yep. on cruise ships or places like that, they're often given fancy, pretty names mm. to try and sell something that is kind of average, I yeah. suppose. Um, one that's come up a lot lately um, in the media and also in Young Jewelers Group, in fact, has been Palavine, which is okay. essentially Peridot. Um, it's a marketing ploy to label it as something unique and something that's found only in one location, but they've taken the name of um, Palisite, which is a meteorite containing olivine, and olivine is the family name for Peridot. So they've named it Palavine. Okay. Taken from those two words, but it's essentially Peridot. Yeah, okay. Which, which in this case, they're claiming is from out of space from a meteorite. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty fancy. Another one I think is uh, mm-hmm. Zoltanite. Yep. Isn't it, Scott? Which is... Diaspore. Diaspore, yeah. Yeah, which is just... Diaspore is the actual gem name and it does have slight colour change uh, but recently they just... Well, not recently but maybe the past few years I think they, they called it Zoltanite and the thing is with this stone as well it's not really a stone that should be worn... In jewellery, that should be worn every day. It's really a collector's stone, and they're marketing it commercially. But a lot of people, um, I think, if you're uneducated and you don't know the risks of wearing a stone mm. that shouldn't be commercially worn, they're going to be disappointed later when they take that home and yeah, yeah. breaks or, or scratches. Or to or... jewellers who have to set them or do work on mm. the ring with the stone in it. Um, I've I've had to help out a couple of people before where. They didn't know what they were working on and they've broken it and, yep. and, and didn't really, tr- you know, they it broke pretty pretty easily, to be honest. So Yeah, mm. or heat or heat. ultrasonic. Or, yeah, all yep. that, yep, yep, yep. Right. All these new stones on the market, because they're marketed with a different name, people find it hard to research exactly what that stone is. So being gemologists, so, we know what the actual stone is, but the marketing name is totally different. So, And that's what people get attracted to is this hmm. new name, this new stone, and it's not a new stone. It's just got a – it's an name. old stone with a new name. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sure. 
And I'm sure that will happen time and time again. You know, they'll they'll rename an old stone something else to remarket it and bring it back out again. And yeah, it'll happen again. I'm sure. York's collections tend to be very colourful. Are you more drawn to colours? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I'm not a diamonds person. Mm. I much prefer coloured gems and all the... I, I like educating people about all the different varieties of colours that gemstones can come in. So we talked about sapphire before. Yeah. A lot of people still believe sapphires are blue. Mm. Yeah. And they don't know that there's green and there's pink and there's yellow and there's orange, orange and... All kinds Purple. of colours and everything in between that, yeah. you know. So I like to try and stock and cut stones that are not necessarily unusual, but to perhaps get it out there that you don't have to have just a blue sapphire. You can have an orange one or you can have a green one or yeah, you or can have tourmalines in a... One. That's right. Or, or you can have a tourmaline one. that's not green or pink, it's yellow or it's orange or... Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that does draw me into... That is something that I love about gemstones and gemology. Yeah. All the different varieties that gemstones can come in. What about you, Scott? Are you are you yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. All the, the colour colours. Yeah, because the colours change so many in so many different stones. Mm. And you you uh, you know, over time you see colours you've never seen in that stone before. You might see one in ten years and you go, Wow, I didn't know it could come in that colour and so yeah, I guess right. that's why I colour I'm attracted to colour as well. There's always a surprise. Somewhere down the track. It could be next week. It could be two years. I don't know. But yeah, there's yeah. always something that, you know. Freak of nature. Yeah, it does. It grabs your eyes and you just go, wow, look at that. Look what nature's done. Yeah, exactly. Colour change stones are always exciting too. Mm. You know, you might look at it under the light that you're cutting it under, under an incandescent light, and you'll go walk outside in daylight mm. and it could look totally different. Yeah. That's always a, a, exciting. And, um, and because we both cut from rough material as well, Yep. That's probably another surprise as well. Just seeing a nice piece of uncut material that you might be looking for, or just yeah, yeah. So then turning that lovely piece of uncut material into something finished mm. is still what attracts us too. You don't always know exactly what color it's going to be until okay. you finished it. It's a bit of a surprise yeah. when you get it. I think that's part of the fun, really, yeah. isn't it? It's always. I think that's one of the reasons why I like zircons so much as well, especially the Hearts Range zircons that. You could look at it and think, oh, it's going to cut a light pink or a dusty pink and mm. it'll come out more sherry colour or mm. yeah. it, it can just, they always surprise me the colour they turn out. And mm. similarly with sapphire, with orientating it um, across the blue-green cross table, depending on how you orientate the stone, you could get a completely blue stone, you could get a completely green sure. stone, you could get a blue and green mm. party colour stone. Yeah. Um, Is there a bit of creativity in that when, you, when you're deciding which... What your yeah. orientation yep. is. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. You can go for the straight blue or you can yeah, tilt it off towards the green and get a bit of green and blue in it. That'll give you more of a teal type colour depending on how green the green is or if it's a blue green. So I guess same thing if because we work with uncut material and you see a parcel of different stones, every single stone in that parcel is going to cut a different colour normally. And yeah, you, right. can, you can... You can uh, I suppose you can choose which colours you want to cut out of those as well. Yeah. So, mm. But even then, even if you cut, like the example with the sapphire, even if you cut them all to face up blue, they could all cut a slightly different shade of blue. So when people want us to match stones mm. or people are seeking, you know, a set of 10 or 20 or even two stones that match, this is why it's so hard to often match coloured stones because they can vary so much in the saturation of the colour mm. um, if the stone had... Sure. Um, Especially colour when you've got the two colours if, in the one stone. That's right. To, or if you're trying to orientate a um, doubly refracting stone with, with different um, yeah different directions of colour in the stone, yeah. they can turn out completely differently. And do you mm. often have like someone say, "Oh, I want to match in," and then you you get you get the stone, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, but I just want to turn yes. it a little bit." Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or you might cut a, a single stone in half, maybe a, an amethyst or something like that. You might cut one piece in half to cut to the two stones but if there's more color saturation in one mm. or in one end of the original crystal it's going to turn out a different color to the other end yeah so mm-hmm. yeah it does happen that it's it's not always um straightforward to cut a matching pair of anything yeah sure especially when you get to the larger ones do you think or is that not true is that sometimes the smaller ones that are the tricky the small ones are probably trickier because the saturation of color uh 
diminishes as the stones get smaller and smaller it's really hard to pick the light and darkness of each stone okay. compared like when they're next to each other especially when they're not cut as well that's even harder i guess but whereas uh, sometimes if we're doing a job like a trade job trying to match up stones quite often it's easier for someone to give us two stones that are already cut mm-hmm. that they know they're matching and then we cut maybe the larger one down to match the smaller one. So okay. when you're working from rough, it's it's still always a guess. I mean, some stones that are easier, definitely things like, say, aquamarines and garnets because there's not too much confusion with the end colour. Sure. But Variations well, garnets can be troublesome sometimes. Garnets can be as well. I mean, yeah, aquamarine's quite easy. Paler stones, you're probably right, aquamarine or mm. maybe sometimes topaz. And because they're paler, I suppose, if there is any subtle difference, you're not going to... It's not going to stand out so much, but when yeah. you're talking darker stones like rich sapphire or, or rich pink tourmalines or something like that, any sort of subtlety in, in lightness and darkness yeah. or even just a little bit of difference in colour, you can really notice it. And, you know, a lot of jewellers are perfectionists and they want yeah. the right colour. And so are we as cutters. We ultimately want the most perfect colour we can get. But yeah. when you're working with nature... You just have to... That's right. Every oh, yeah. every stone is as unique as a fingerprint, True. I suppose, in that sense. They're yeah. all coloured by ever so subtly different amounts mm. of yeah. iron or chromium yeah. or mm. whatever else colours those gems. And can mm. you work with jewellers to a certain extent or not, you know? Well, you know, if if you put them in this order, then the colour difference is... I think that depends on the jeweller. Some jewellers want it to be a perfect match. And yep. for companies that have sure. hundreds of thousands of stones that can colour match, um, that takes time to do. Yep. Um, but for those that can colour match, they, you know, the jeweller can be more fussy. Some yeah. people and are happy with... That's right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And some people are happy with similar tones. They yeah. don't mind, you know, blues of varying degrees or some people, um, more and more people are wanting mismatched pairs now as well so they might want a yeah, blue and a green sure. or they might want a light pink and a dark pink yeah and and make it more obvious that they don't match um, yeah that's becoming a popular trend at the moment too uh and what about stones you keep are there any that you're like oh this is not leaving mm. <laughs> i try to limit myself these days yeah there's a couple <laughs> is it just too dangerous <laughs> there's a couple that you really there's some stones i mean i've got a i like australian stones and stones where there's no longer mines there anymore, so they've it's yeah. been mined out, and you're lucky enough to actually have a piece. Sure, yeah, they're right. things I definitely won't sell. They're yeah. they're you know they're collectors' pieces, and I'm sure if I found something absolutely magical that I never wanted to sell, and maybe I'd want to pass it on to my kids or something like that, perhaps I'd keep that too. If I had the opportunity to purchase something like that, yeah, um, I think it's probably we have probably different feelings towards that as well because. I the gems that I would decide to keep, mm. I, I don't cut rare things like you do perhaps, but the things that I would decide to keep would be things that I might want to have made into jewellery for myself because yep. I, I could wear it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I try not to do that too much <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. I would never sell anything. <laughs> I think I think anyone who's who's come into contact with gemstones has ultimately mm. got themselves mm. a Usually, little bit of a collection somewhere. I'm sure they have. I think I like to keep things that are an unusual colour. So yeah. something, I, I, like Scott said, something you might not see come up very often. Um, yeah. They'd probably be more the ones that I'd want to keep and, and wear myself because yeah. I'm wearing a product that I cut, that I made for myself. So yeah. And all the other ones that I love, I mean, I fall in love with everything that I cut, but, <laughs> but it, that's it makes that's it even more exciting should. to sell it to the next person than yeah, knowing yeah. that it's mm. going to go to a good home and that mm. I'm proud of my work and yeah, I'm proud yeah. of the product that I cut. Mm. So and you mm. like zircons. I do like zircons, yeah. yeah. I I. Sapphires are probably my favourite gem, but I think um, zircons are, are coming up close behind. Zircons <laughs> are cool ge- in a geology mm. sense. Yeah, of... they are. Geologists, um, well, they like destroying them, but... Because uh, they're, 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 some of them can be mega old. Mm. They no, use right? them for... Uh, don't quote me on this. I'm not a geologist, but yeah, they like... use them... It's for, <laughs> They can date the age of other gemstones or, or rock formations, perhaps by like called zircon dating so oh, yeah. because of the process of radioactive bombardment i think or ra- radioactivity no radiation it's like radio that. something I mean, yeah they are associated <laughs> radio with radioactivity gaga. radio something <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah radio gaga. <laughs> it's radio something um they can use that to 
date the age of something. And yeah, yeah, right. you're talking thousands, millions of years old. It's pretty cool. But, I mean, I just like them for their colour and um, they have a great luster and um, highly doubly refracting. So okay. when you look through it, it sort of looks like blurry lines or beer goggles or something. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, f- I find them really attractive, really, yep. really beautiful looking. And whenever I cut them, I never know the, t- the colour they're going to turn out. They always kind of turn out slightly darker or paler than I always expect. So yeah, they're always a fun mystery. Have you got a, a preferred family? Mm, yeah, I like Sapphire as well. I also like yeah. Tourmaline. I'm always, I've always been a fan of Tourmaline. So yeah, I think it's it so, is my birthstone as well, but I just, cause it comes in so many different colors. Yeah, mm. sure. Uh, it's easy to polish, which is a plus. Yeah. Um, and uh, just the variety you get because you can get one, two, three colours in a crystal uh, mm. and then cutting that stone and finishing it and seeing all those three colours, it makes it totally unique. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah and I think that's why I fell in love with sapphires um, because of their – I love party colour sapphires. Anything bicolour, mm. um, I find that really interesting. But you're right, tourmaline crystals with multiple colours, that just blows my mind. Mm. I think that's really cool yeah. because you can see the nature – in it that it's changed its color over time as as that yeah. crystal's grown. That's yeah, really interesting. Right. And uh, there's, there's definitely stones du jour, stone of the day. Uh, I think the um, last year and still probably the is it the mahenge? Is that how you say it? The garnet mahenge. Mahenge mm-hmm. from Africa. Yeah, beautiful but color. They are beautiful color, and they vary from like a salmony sort of pink to a kind of like a burnt brownish. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the 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 new to- the new uh, morganite. Morganite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think a lot of things that have been trending over the last couple of years. You had morganites. You've got mahenge garnets. Um, You've also got Padparasha sapphires are really hot right now too. Uh, so oh yeah, that was the, the princesses. Has she got one of those? That's right. Mm. Yeah, Princess Eugenie or mm-hmm. yeah. She has. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all those nude and peachy tones have been really popular for the last couple of years, actually. Mm. Um, and people, I think, I think the public eye are slowly exploring different kinds of peachy nude coloured gemstones, which is really exciting. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But uh, uh, I don't think Morganite is Morganite very rare because the, the, the other two are quite rare, are they? The Pangy and the other one beginning with P that you just said. <laughs> Pad, Pad that's, that's the variety of the, it's like an orange-yellow-pink combination, Yeah, generally. I wouldn't say Mahenge garnets are rare. Um, there's been a lot of them come out in the market. They're not that well known of or heard of. Yeah, um, sure, okay. We had a couple going back a year ago and mm. no one in Australia had heard of them yet or, or wanted to... Um, perhaps pay the price for them for, yeah. how, for how rare they are. Um, but in the overseas market, certainly in the US, I think they are a bit more popular. Yeah. Um, but Australia is always, a, you know, six months behind, I think, <laughs> in any of our fashion trends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but pad parashas are, are certainly, you could call them a bit rarer um, mm. to be classed as a true pad parasha colour. Uh, it can be quite controversial as to what is classed as that colour and, and what is classed as a pink or an orange or it's sort of got to have different elements to it, I, I suppose. Do you reckon you can forecast the the next trend? Is trend too bold a word? No, I don't well, think trend definitely is trend because it's more of a colour trend mm. when it happens. So Morganite, Mahengo Garnet, Padparaja Sapphire, they're all, like Laura was saying, those mm. nude tones of... Yeah, it's like yeah. Pantone colour mm. of the yeah. year. It's it's probably I would I don't know I th- I'm thinking that the nudes are still mm. are still winning because um, I've had a few people wanting you know those paler topaz and yeah. paler um, oh, we've had yeah. a lot of yellow topaz and and pale brown mm. topaz and they still want those soft pastely colours yeah I think, I think it moment. might just they shift don't want, to another colour perhaps yeah but... they don't want those harsh bold colours at the moment mm. okay mm. and it, it it did it did become popular that colour when with pink diamonds as well. So pink diamonds are, you know, extraordinarily expensive for what they are. And I think people wanted an alternative that was affordable. And so there's your three options. Also including tourmaline as well. A light pink tourmaline can, you know, mimic the colour of a morganite just as much as 
Yeah, right. Uh, what the other ones can. So and, and pink salon sapphires have been quite popular sapphires, too, yep, yep. in varying degrees. Not just the the bright hot pink, but yeah. in those softer paler pinks because, mm. like Scott said, it mimics pink diamonds at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and it's much more affordable. And much more affordable, and you can get bigger stones too. So mm. yeah, and now the, the in the last couple of years, people are turning more to coloured stones. I think they are. Is it last couple of years? Last five years? Ten? Mm. Probably last five. I'd say last five. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yep. I mean, some of the requests are quite extraordinary. And I think a lot of that comes through the internet, perhaps. Yeah. And magazines and, you know, they see maybe a Hollywood star or someone with one of these beautiful Pad Parage sapphires or, I don't know, something like a huge Tanzanite or... And then they look up on the internet to find out how much they cost and maybe they'll see one on eBay or something like that, which is probably synthetic. And they go, oh, well, I've, I've seen one for $150 on the internet. Why is it this much? Well, because the one we're going to supply you is natural and it's been mined and it's not man-made. Yep, yep. And the one you've seen is purely just a picture with a price. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's one of the frustrating things we find is gem cutters, gem dealers, sure. to I explain think as well, to people. I think you're on the right track. With marketing, diamonds are marketed as the rarest gemstone, as, as the most expensive gemstone, and people get a rude shock when it, they find out from a coloured gem dealer that diamonds aren't the most expensive mm. gem in the world. There mm. are gems oh, yeah, that sure. rubies and emeralds can fetch a high price. Some, some yeah. salon sapphires can fetch a high price. Um, when you start talking in large sizes or rarity of a gemstone, yeah. Especially with rubies, I mm. guess, as well, because people want an immaculate ruby. Mm. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but they want to pay the same price as a synthetic they saw in the chain store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's about edu- educating customers and retailers about, um, you know, it's. I think it's fantastic that more and more of the public want coloured gems as an option for an engagement ring or a, or a cocktail ring or a dress ring, but they don't understand because of the way... Mar- um, I think diamonds have been marketed. They don't understand that coloured gems could fetch such a high price, close to diamond and sometimes more. How do you manage your stock in terms of calibrated standards and unique? You know, who's asking for what? Is it always good to have, you know, the calibrated standards? Or or does sometimes it's just everybody wants something unique from your business? Uh, from from our business, I think people want both. One, because they know we can cut from rough. We can cut something unique for them. Mm. And they can come up with a design and they'll say, can you do this in this stone? And we'll say, yes, we can. And then, then we've got the things that are fairly standard, like uh, you know ovals and rounds and things like that in smaller sizes that people also need to... I suppose complement perhaps that unique stone as well. I guess it's sure. So I yeah, think because it, because you run a repair business as well as a wholesaling business, it depends on the nature of what they want the stone for. Mm. So some people want it to for a repair, say the stone broke, or they want to put a different stone in the same existing setting. That's often when we need to have your calibrated standard sizes, um, or if someone's making it from scratch, perhaps, um, or they want to make an unusual type of ring or pendant then they'll work with the size of the stone we've already got that we supply them. Yep. We do a lot of repolishes. We do a lot of recutting, reshaping. Mm. A stone's fallen out. A stone is chipped. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we do a lot of that. So, What are, what are um, classic broken stones? Emeralds. Yeah. Any stones with... Quite often a pear shape is quite often they'll break the tip off a pear shaped stone sure. or a marquee. Hard to set. Ends, yep. Yeah. Anything with points is usually quite often deadly for jewelers to try and set. Yep. I'm sure they <laughs> hold, their, hold their breath and shut one eye <laughs> and hope for the best. I got um, a box at home of very small, pointless. <laughs> yep. I'm sure when Pears. someone comes in with a with a round for a you know a round stone setting, they'll just go, "Oh, that's better. Thank you. No <laughs> points." Nice yeah. even shape, um, but stones that break. I mean, we see a lot of other gems, I suppose, in repair work that you know, fifty odd years ago, they thought it was a natural stone, and it's it's most likely glass, and so it's had a lot of wear and tear, and it's had mm. scuffs, and oh, it's got sure. chips, and it's got it's been quite worn down. Um, 
I would say one of the biggest things we get to repair, though, would be onyx rings. Men's, mm-hmm. gents' onyx rings. <laughs> I guess they wear them. Who knows what they do with it? Comes in smashed. We get, sure. we get enough of those. Mm. <laughs> but there's a lot of surface area for them to That's right. Break. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And generally, the lot, a lot of the ones that have uh, they've bought are quite thin as well. So, mm. um, well, yeah. yeah. They're never going to last long on a man's finger. If... <laughs> Yeah. So Onyx, Mother of Pearl, I guess, is another common inlay thing. Is that something you come across a lot? We don't we see do a lot of Mother of Pearl. We do a little bit of that. Yeah. Definitely Onyx. That's the number one Opal, colour. Opal Black. inlays we get a lot of as well. Yeah. That's another popular inlay for men's rings or women's rings that we do a lot of replacing of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I quite like doing the inlay work. I find mm. that a fun challenge to try and fit a gemstone into an existing shape and... Yeah, shaping it by hand or by finger, and some of them are quite tiny. Very mm. tricky as well because mm. mm. just a little fraction off, and it's not gonna. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Fraction more, and yep. you've got a big gap. That's yeah. right. We're, it's not like uh, working with metal; you can't just add a bit back on. <laughs> yeah, or, you've got to be very precise. <laughs> if it's too small, start again. Yeah. So, and what about um, big stones, small stones that have come through? Mm-hmm. Like what, I, I think I saw a post when I was stalking you before coming here where you were trying to get the smallest possible stone. I think um, I think the smallest stone I've cut, I think I know the post you're talking about, and that was about 1.5 by 4 in a baguette. That was in a good old zircon. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of those I cut actually, but in a round, probably the smallest I've done is 2 mil, and that's okay. that's pretty tiny when you think about all the little facets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. have to go on a gem that small. Um, I wouldn't want to do much smaller than two mil. And then it gets to a point below that that we don't have dop sticks small enough to okay. hold sure. stones yeah, like yeah, that yeah. yeah, the surface area to glue something up is non-existent. So yeah. once again, that, that that's like a jeweler setting a stone with a point. We then start trying to facet this stone and just sort of shut our eyes and look the other way and <laughs> hope for the best. But then if it falls off and you had your eyes shut, you've got to yeah. find it somewhere. That's right. So That's usually the other person's job. When it goes that small, <laughs> who's doing them? Is it is it something that's made through a machine rather than a person or just offshore? Um, I think overseas a lot of them are machine cut. Is that right, Scott? Mm, those small ones are. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, Robots. They're taking over our jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I saw a video once of a machine and I think it was cutting three at once mm. on the on the so, same on the same wheel. So just for people that don't know much about gem cutting, we cut one at a time um, yeah. on a wheel. But yeah. this machine was cutting three and they, they were all quite small. And it was going quite quickly too. So yeah. when people compare prices of, say, if we cut a two mil versus a two mil that's been machine cut overseas you can understand why we perhaps charge a bit more. Yeah. Because yeah. we're cutting one at a time and we take longer than a machine could. Yeah. No yeah, one in their sure. right mind would want to cut 1.2 mil stones every day. It just... If we have to cut one, we can cut one, but it's it's yeah. tedious. It's not fun work. Yeah. No, it's not. It's only because we're trying to help someone out, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. They're desperate for something and I guess we'll put our hand up, but... Only very slightly and say, yeah, yes, yeah, we yeah. can. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Again, with our eyes shut. Yes. <laughs> and then and our I, fingers crossed behind our back. <laughs> there, so yes. And then bigger stone, because, again, it would come to how big your machine dot True. stick yeah, is. Yeah, um, I've cut some pretty big topaz over the years. A couple of, I don't know, I suppose they were 130 carats each. Yeah. They were pretty big. Um, they take a lot of time. You need to allow... Virtually a whole day and a lot of shoulder pain at the end of the day because your arm's at a constant angle for a whole day, polishing, polishing, yeah. So it's a lot of material to get through. It is a lot of material, yeah. A lot of shaping, a lot of facets. And as well on the stone. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of planning in your mind on how you're going to cut big stones to make them look nice. Yeah. And because they are so big, you can generally, you have to make sure every facet's polished perfectly because... When they're that size, you can you can. It's like a TV screen. You can see quite a lot of detail being such a large stone. So yeah. when when they're small, you obviously have to magnify it a lot more. But with big ones, mm. but they take time. Yeah, yeah. But it can be done. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. And what about scary stones? Mm. Is there anything that uh, gets you tense? 
Tanzanite. Tanzanite are always a bit... Because they're a little bit iffy with heat sometimes. You just... Yeah. And especially big ones. Jewelers are the same, Tanzanite. Yeah. Yeah, they're big, big tanzanite. Talking 25, 30, 35 carat tanzanites. Yeah. Occasionally, when we get one that big, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to get it finished and off with nothing wrong with it, polished, of course, and then back to where it came from. They're just unpredictable sometimes, and that's why they're scary because they're unpredictable. So okay. Mm. And what what can go wrong? If you get it too hot, they can crack, yeah. and the crack will go right through the stone, and it'll happen just like that. Just so one minute you'll be polishing something, and next minute you'll hear this little like that, and you'll just look up, and there's a big crack in the stone. Yeah, that's when you don't want to look up. No, that's when you don't want to look up. No, that's, that look up. Mm. <laughs> no, that's bad, real bad. Oh, and when have you gem nerded the most in your? In your tenure. <laughs> Every day? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We do get some nice stones come in. They're not mm. necessarily the ones we own, but um, we do a lot of repolishing of different stones, and sometimes you do get a really nice sapphire come in. Or Well, that's it. If they're worth repairing, is it gonna, oh, they're yeah. going to be the, yeah. the, the better ones, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. no, not always. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of sentimental value out there on yeah. stones, and I suppose that's a good way of putting a stone... That isn't necessarily worth a lot, but it's worth a lot to someone. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we do, we do get a bit of that, mm. and we do our, look. To be honest, you do ask yourself why are you getting this stone repolished or fixed up, or but because it was it might have been their grandma's grandma's, and it's been handed yeah. down, and it's been totally trashed over the years, but it's still part of their family. So yeah, you know we we yeah. don't yeah we don't frown upon anything like that, but. Yeah, there's stones that aren't worth anything that yep. we still do, and there's stones worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, yeah. So, is it the sort of more unusual sapphires and? It could be anything. It's anything unique, really. T- something totally unique yeah. is generally I worth think a lot. More, of money. yeah, more unique in color and size rather size, than in yeah. gemstone variety. Yeah. We don't do yeah. too many weird and wonderful rare gems like that, or soft gems, or mm. things like yeah. that, but. Yeah, it's probably more unusual colour, like Scott said, something you might not see for two years, ten yeah, years, yeah. something like that. Um, they're always exciting ones to come across, I think. Because when I did the, the GAA, uh, Laura Brio was saying it's all about inclusions for her. Mm-hmm. Mm. So are there other elements like that? Definitely. I think um, now that we've got a microscope in the workshop, and I've got one at home as yeah. well, um, I could spend hours looking at inclusions under the microscope. It's totally something that I think gemologists appreciate more than a jeweler would um, because it's a whole world inside of a gemstone. Under magnification, um, you can just see so much more about a gem. If it has inclusions, it can tell you the location that it came from. Um, if you're knowledgeable enough about that variety, you might even know the mine site that it came from. Sure. And this could be a, a, you know, a ruby that came out of grandma's ring yeah. and she might have thought it was a garnet. And you could come across this red stone and pinpoint exactly where it's come from. And I find that really exciting. And that's just from the inclusions um, in those gems. So there are inclusions that decrease the value. There must be also inclusions that increase value then Um, to some people. Yeah, I suppose an example of an inclusion Mm. that would increase value would be in a demantoid garnet. Mm -hmm. Um, Horsetail inclusions would probably... Um, for the retail side of things would actually increase value. People want to see this um, diagnostic inclusion yeah. in, I think it's Russian demantoid garnets, isn't it, Scott? Mm. Um, whereas other... Well, perhaps, I guess if it proves a location... That's right. And therefore it's rarity perhaps from that location, then it would be worth more with that mm. inclusion in it. Than... But a ruby that has lots of silk and <clears throat> crystal inclusions and... Um, banding and zoning and that might not be so appealing to someone who wants a completely clean yeah, yeah. pigeon's blood yeah, red yeah. ruby mm. is it appealing to you as a generalist? definitely yeah definitely <laughs> that i think that's what got me into it and and i still find that exciting and that is something that scott and i both nerd out about if one of us gets on the microscope the other one can't help but go over and go, oh, what are you looking at what's that cool thing in there and oh tilt it this way and what about that it's yeah it's exciting mm. for sure do you suffer pingers like jewellers do? 
Professor. Down the crack. I made a note on my sheet here that says our version of pingers is when stones fall off our dop sticks, I suppose. So, (laughs) you know, you'd be polishing away and you'd be nearly at the end of finishing the stone and then it would just fall off. So then you have to glue the whole stone back on again, trace back the facets where you hadn't quite finished and, Mm. yeah. Yep. That's... and. Just like pingers that the jewelers get if they you know if they've got it in their tweezers and it just pings off into the distance somewhere. Um, that's our version because once it falls off, it can go. It can go anywhere. It can fall in your lap. It can bounce on the ground. It can because yeah, as it's fallen of off, it's come off from a spinning wheel, and that yeah. spinning wheel's ricocheted off. So that's it. <laughs> yes, and then you just sort of listen in the distance to where. Did it might you hear hit. it drop? <laughs> so you've got to look for it, and then also you've got to. Do it again. Do the rigmarole yep. of, of attaching it yep. as well. Yeah. So you got double the fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard any really far out stories of how somebody came to damage the the grandmother's sapphire? Oh yeah. There's usually been a few people run over their rings in the driveway. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing uncommon. We had to polish a sapphire for someone oh, a couple of months ago. Mm. It was a nice sapphire too, and. Yeah, they dropped it on the ground, and the ring was totally flat, but the stone just had a few marks on it. So, I've heard the odd one as well, where people have tried polishing their cabochons with toothpaste, which is corrosive. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, oh, sure, because that's a uh... and amber. Yeah, well. a- amber and like turquoise and, and things like yeah. that. They've tried polishing with toothpaste because that's that's the uh, it's an abrasive. Mm, it's yeah. Google is doing abrasive. That. That's right, not corrosive. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Because people say, mm. put it in toothpaste, mm. you're right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> They're not always right. <laughs> and uh, so what would you give as advice to aspiring ge- demonologists, Laura? Um, I definitely recommend go and do a study course with the GAA, yes. um, whether it's the two-year diploma or a short course. Most of the states offer short courses as well if you just want to get amongst it and learn something. Yeah. Um, You're teaching there, are you? That's right. Yeah. So I teach some of the courses in South Australia. We teach an intro course um, and we look at the basic instruments for testing gem- uh, gemstones mm-hmm. and um, hands down every time the microscope, they love it. They love looking at the inclusions on the microscope. Um, but, yeah, if they just want to get, uh, get amongst it a bit more, be a bit more educated about what gemstones are out there, um, perhaps what to be cautious of as well in terms of synthetics or um, tricky names that aren't really names of gemstones. Yeah. Um, whether you do a course or just go chat to a gemologist um, within the GAA, each state has a division. Yeah. Um, it's a good start. I think if you want a career in the jewellery industry, the gemstones and jewellery go hand in hand. So I Absolutely. suppose the more you can educate yourself on those things, the better you are as a person in the industry too. Yeah, right. And I think it's important because more and more gems are being discovered or more and more actually more and more treatments mm. are being discovered in natural gemstones. And yeah. that's something that a jeweler really has to be aware of. So if yeah. it's a, a ruby, it could be glass filled or it could be fracture filled or could be dyed or a treatment that might not last. Yeah. So if it comes pieces. that's right. Yeah, if it yeah. comes in for repair and a jeweler doesn't know about the potential treatments out there um they don't know the potential harm that they could be causing to the, to yeah. the piece of jewelry so i think it is important to at least know what's out there and get educated or if um you don't have the time or you're not near somewhere that can educate you just get chatting to someone who can perhaps assist you with that as well yeah and this is why it's great as an industry for everyone to be hmm. talking together and you know that's right you you, you guys i think it's good to share to a lot of jewelers mm. yeah definitely that's right. And a lot of them will call us up as well asking, you know, um, could you give us a bit of advice on this stone or what do you think this could be or how should I handle handle this with care or, or yep, things yep. like that. Yep. So, um, And we're always happy to help with yeah. that sort of stuff because for your we, we want the future, you know, we mm. want the best future for people mm. knowing what's out there. So, yeah, well, yeah. And, a, and a, they might ring up as well and they have a customer who's got a budget of this and they want this colour. And so we automatically think, okay, well, they can't have sapphire but that. Here's another three options you could try knowing what we know about gemstones. and Yeah, cool. So. That's right. It's just about even learning the varieties of gems that are available mm. and the colours that mm-hmm. they all come in. Yeah. So yeah. there's plenty of jewellers that I think probably still think sapphires are only blue. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and people that don't yeah. realise that Australia is a commercially producing country of sapphire as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, even the locality of gems and 
uh, yeah, the colors they come in, the treatments, all this sort of stuff you can learn in 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 the diploma and some of the short courses too. So yeah, yeah, well, I but- definitely encourage people to to reach out and learn more. Yeah, what about um, aspiring cutters, Scott? Is that the best term, cutters? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That's probably a little bit harder. Um, I, I guess you could start with gem clubs. They're, they're a good starting point for learning the basics and learning that if you're really interested in doing that or not. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you do need a lot of patience sometimes. And it's it's probably a hard field to get into. It is. Because it's not a very large field at all. Yeah, right. Um, and less and less people are doing it. And people aren't taking on apprentices or mm. um, taking on understudies, and um, mm. yeah, it, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to learn the skills. I mean, I've learned a lot from working with Scott more than I would have if I'd joined a gem club because we deal with such a variety of gems, and we have to I have to get quick at it yeah. because we deal in a commercial business. Mm. Um, I can't take weeks to cut a gemstone. I have to do it quickly and and have a high turnover to, to get the next job done. So that's another element of us of it, I suppose. If you want to actually make a career out of it, you have to be quick at it too. But if you just want to have a play with gems and learn how to cut and facet, try a gem club. That's a really good starting point. Mm. Yeah, sure. sure. It is, and you can take it as far as you want after that. Mm. Really, that's what it comes down to, I think, is how much you're interested yeah. in it and how much you love doing it and how much further can I go with this. Yeah, because so. you were super persistent, hey, Laura, so... Yep. Yeah, if you, if you want it. Still is. Yeah, nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. <laughs> and uh, what about for jewellers? Have you got any advice for jewellers? It's very general. Stop breaking stones. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, wait a minute. I'll fix them if you do. <laughs> um, for jewellers, I don't know, maybe for education about gemstones, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, you no, do yeah. see a lot of jewellers make silly mistakes with stones that... If they just had some basic information about that stone, they probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah, and um, then you see some jewellers with vast knowledge of, of yes, gemstones are, who definitely. really know yep. their stuff. Yeah, so they, there's not a large really percentage inspiring. of those, to be honest. Um, from my experience over the, the years I've been doing this, but it's getting better. And yeah, and I think people, people are, are learning from their it. mistakes. It's probably what's been happening is that they've made. A bad mistake somewhere, and they want to learn about stones. And yeah. I think um, you don't, it's, don't want it to cost you too much. It money. also depends yeah. on who yeah. trains them as well. Hopefully, those That's those right. educated jewelers are also passing it down to their staff and their apprentices yep. too. So, yeah. yeah, and perhaps the ones that don't know as much haven't had that um, haven't had that knowledge passed down to them, and haven't yeah, wanted yeah. to seek out gemological training a lot of jewelers think well i work with gemstones every day i know what i'm doing yeah. i know enough about gems because i work with them but there's different things to know about gemstones in different yes. ways so and there's more and more treatments and tricky things out there that we're always discovering as a gemologist we'll never stop learning yeah so they're two industries that go very very well together mm. like a jeweler and a gem cutter <laughs> definitely we need each other yes we do <laughs> yeah Beautiful. And uh, we do a thing on the podcast, what music do you listen to? Because we were talking about this in the car up, Laura uh, drove me up here from the city, um, and we were talking about what music you'd listen to in your studio. That's right. So we pretty much always have Triple J on. Yeah. Go go Triple J. But um, yeah, my machine, both in Scott's workshop and my workshop at home, is very noisy. So most of the time I don't actually hear anything mm. over the sound of my machine anyway. So yeah. they could be listening to anything and I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm always a fan of alternative Aussie rock. It's mm. always good music. Yeah, Keeps sure. you going. And if, you know, if it's a Monday morning and you really need something to get you up and going in your mind... It's nice to have a bit of that in the background. Mm. Sure. Mm. It's, it's good to have music, I think, and, and we'll often, Scott will be singing or I'll be humming or, you know, and, and I'll go, did that song recently play? And he's like, yeah, it's, it was just playing before, or it's playing now, and huh. you subconsciously, yeah, it's good to have music on, I think. It's good to have sound on in the background. It is, Over yeah. the wearing machines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you were saying before as well that sometimes you need to listen out to the... the That's right. So I, you can't have it too loud because you've still got to listen to how the gemstone's reacting on the machine as well. So you've got to listen out to the little sounds when it's hitting the lap, mm. how yeah. long it's been hitting the lap for. Mm. Again, if you hear that crack sound that Scott yeah. talked about, you don't want to hear that sound. Mm. Oh, you turn the music up. <laughs> <laughs> Keep working. <laughs> Nothing to see here. 
Then you realise you lost the stone five minutes ago. <laughs> You're actually just faceting the dop stick. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Thanks for talk having me. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, let people. What, what, what's your uh, Instagram, Facebook, Scott? Uh, Langford Gems Instagram and yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Laura Tatum Gems on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah. So yeah, get following. Yep, yeah, we love it. <laughs> Fabulous. Gem nerd out with us. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag gem nerd. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. 